guys awake? I'm going to need you to be awake for this, okay? This is our last sermon in our series, Bigger Than. And um, we've been talking about worldview. And I know you're something going, well, that doesn't sound very exciting. But if you've been through the series, you realize it's pretty exciting. <laughs> We're talking about changing the way you look at life. Coming at life from a different perspective. Putting your life and looking at it from a higher plane than everyone else. And you can do that when you take on a Christ-following worldview, a discipleship worldview, you can look at life from a higher plane than someone who is all the truth they need wrapped up in themselves. And so today we're talking about how that God is bigger than our fear, but I'm not going to talk about fear a lot. I'm going to talk a whole lot about what's possible for us and the fact that we are sons and not orphans before God. So does that sound okay to you? Whether it does or not, that's what we're going to do, Okay. We look at five questions throughout the series. I just want to do a quick reminder and then I'm going to dive in and I'll probably go pretty fast because I have a lot to cover. But uh, we look at what can be known, which is the whole idea of a worldview. And then what is God? Who is God? Who am I? What is good? What is wrong? And what is next? So this entire series is available on our website, our Facebook page. If you want to dig into it more, I just want you to know it's available to you. But today I want to jump into a new story in the book of Acts, but I'm actually going to start with a reading out of another place that I can't remember what it is. All right, Acts chapter 1. <coughs> Excuse me, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Once when he, and this is referring to Jesus, was eating with them, and that's referring to the disciples, Jesus commanded the disciples, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift He promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Does that sound good? Sound like worth waiting for? All right, it's good. Because that's what we're talking about today is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, okay? So here's what happened. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly. Remember we talked about that last week? That Jesus will suddenly all up on you sometimes, okay? Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So, here we are, man. This is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We talked about last week how that Jesus breathed on the disciples in John chapter 21 and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So they had the Holy Spirit in them and they had the Holy Spirit with them. But something transitioned in Acts chapter 2. Now the Holy Spirit is on them. Okay, So we see this change in the way that ministry and life and how Jesus is going to operate. Jesus, Remember, Jesus told the disciples, hey, it's good for me to go away. I need to go away because the one coming is, is going to do things in you that are better than even the things that I could do. So Jesus, on His way ascending the Father, high fives Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes back. Ta- it's a tag, like a wrestling match. High five. Something like, I've never seen wrestling. That's probably good. It's probably a good thing. It's a southern thing. And I spent some days in Tennessee, so yeah, I'm going to be twangy today. It's going to happen. So anyway... So then the Holy Spirit comes in us, and now we don't just have one Jesus walking around through the nation of Israel. We have Jesus in every believer. I'm going to rant a minute. Not part of my outline. I'm just adding this on to the end of the sermon. Sorry. Not sorry. 
I'm so tired of people talking like that what God did on the day of Pentecost was special just because it was new. I want to remind you that Paul made it crystal clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that, or maybe it's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, in one of the Corinthian letters, he made it clear that the new covenant gets better and better and is ever increasing. Okay? we got to stop making excuses for our lack of experience of God's power in our life. That's what I'm really trying to say. Amen? So you're like, how do I get out of that? And I'm like, well, we're going to find out. Okay, we've got to move. We've got to make a brain transition today. We've got to start believing like we're supposed to believe. Now, let's look at the disciples a minute. What happened to these guys? Because before Jesus resurrects, they're terrified. They are very fearful. And now Jesus comes back, breathes on them, and now they've moved into a different place in their discipleship. They're willing to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes, which I think is a very brave thing to happen when you consider the political upheaval that's happening in the Pharisee Sanhedrin realm and in the Roman realm because they're there. So they're no longer fearful at this point. They're transitioning to a new phase, a new stage of their discipleship. Now the Holy Spirit comes down and they're filled with God. Filled with God. Think about all that means. We'll talk about that more in just a minute, okay? <laughs> now they're walking the streets, and the same Jesus that was crucified like 50 days before, they're telling people, hey man, He's alive. Now they're fearless. They're preaching the Jesus that Rome and the Sanhedrin murdered. They're preaching His name. And they're telling them. They're like fearless. They said, let me clearly state to all of you, Acts 4.10, to all the people of Israel, that He was healed in the name of the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified. How's that for fearless? Looking at the, all these people who just nailed Jesus to the cross a month before, a little bit over a month before, six weeks before, says, hey, you nailed him to a cross, but it didn't work. Didn't take. He healed himself and he healed this guy. That's how Jesus works, okay? That's what I call fearless, all right? The Sanhedrin didn't know what to do. So now before, they're hiding. They're laying low. Now they're preaching in the streets. They're telling lame guys to get up and walk what do you, i don't have any money but what i have i give to you in the name of the lord jesus christ get up and walk we need to pay attention to those healing prayers church because often what we're doing is we're like oh god heal him god heal him god would you please heal him god's healing that's kind of like if every time a police officer went to arrest somebody or write a ticket he called into the central office and said hey is it all right if i write a ticket for this guy that would be stupid. And, the, and you know what his superior officer would say? No, you have been given authority. Write the guy a ticket. Do you understand what's going on here? Okay, I'm gonna, I, you're like, he's all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I am. My point is that they looked at that man. Yeah, focus. Thank you. They looked at that man and they called him up and, and, and told him to stand up in Jesus' name. And he did. They did so in their authority. This got them arrested eventually and they got tried over it. These fearful guys before, now they're fearless and the Sanhedrin decide, hey, we got an answer for this problem. We'll just tell them not to speak in Jesus' name anymore. So they bring the disciples in. Acts chapter 4, verse 18. So they call the apostles back in, commanded them to never again speak or teach in the name of Jesus. So there you go. That's the ruling of the Sanhedrin. So here's the answer. But Peter and John replied, Oh, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than Him? And if you read some attitude in that, I think there was. I think they're like, what are you, crazy? In fact, what they're saying is, hey, dude, uh, they probably, Carrie, is Carrie here? 
Amen, Carrie. Yes? No, he's not here? Okay. Well, Lord bless Carrie today. But uh <clears throat> said, hey, dude, here's the deal. You didn't like Jesus. You tried Jesus. You condemned Jesus. You crucified Jesus. You killed Jesus. You set a guard on a dead man. You set a guard on a dead man. And it didn't work. None of it stuck. And then had the nerve to say, and you know what? He's alive. And if you'll believe in him and you'll trust in him, you'll be forgiven of your sins and filled with his Holy Spirit too. That's what he's trying to tell the Sanhedrin. Did they walk into it? No, probably not. Some maybe. But there, the point is that they've, something massive and awesome has changed in their ministry. And so now they go from uh, struggling and wrestling and having problems. So now they're incredibly effective. 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people. We, we don't have tracts to hand out. There's no literature, as Brother Graham would say. 3,000 people come to Christ. They came so much to Christ. <laughs> I'm going to be a little facetious here. Then all of a sudden, they totally shaped their lives around Jesus. What? Right. <laughs> okay, I'm going to stay off that soapbox. I'll just stay there. They All of a sudden now, Jesus is so important to them, so important to them, that now they're meeting with the brothers and sisters every day. They're making time for community every day. They're giving up money to help each other out. They're supporting each other. They are so much into Jesus that it, they totally reorganized their life around Jesus Christ and it happened in one day. And if I, if I could just kind of press into that for you just a second, if Jesus isn't worth reprioritizing your life, I would, I would encourage you greatly, don't take this as condemnation, I would encourage you greatly to reevaluate that relationship. When you know the God of the universe personally as your best friend, it just should change a few things. So, people are growing and pressing into Jesus Christ. It's awesome. Now, then what happens? <clears throat> well, then they just changed the world. Then they just changed everything. They flipped Judaism on its head. They flipped the Roman governments on its head. They flipped Asia on its head. Everything got flipped because now you have this group of people who Jesus Christ is the most important thing. They don't have a Bible yet. No King James. Just in case you didn't know, King, Paul did not read the King James. No English as yet. Just thrown out there for free. And uh, no translation at all. Uh, they're, they're, they're going and following Jesus Christ. They head out in the world. Now, here's where we begin to see a difference between them and us. If we see this difference and we decide to change this in our lives, it's going to set us free and we're going to move from fear to power. Not just faith, but power. Okay? And here's the difference. How do we ask God each, each day for help? When the Bible talks about praying without ceasing, how do we, what do we think that means? For us, as an average American today, it's, hey, Lord, uh, if you could make my uh, commute to work without accident, I appreciate that blessing. And Lord, if you'd give me a raise. And Lord, if you just take my boss on home, that'd be all right. Just take him on home. And um, I, I love him. I don't want anybody to hurt, but I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to go to jail for what needs to happen to that person. And, and, and you know, these kind of prayers, Lord, don't give me. We ask God to avoid a lot of problems, don't we? I mean, I, I do. I, I went this week. I flew to Tennessee. Boy, are my arms tired. Ha, ha, ha. But and I'm like, Lord, just help me get through the airport without the airport without getting arrested by TSA. That's really all I ask, Jesus. It drives me crazy. I always, well, not today. I don't own dress pants, but I always carry a pocket knife uh, because I like having a pocket knife. And every time I fly, I get irritated 
that I have to leave my pocket knife at home. It's just my pocket knife part of me. As any man knows, you need a knife all the time. But anyway, so it goes, here's how they pray. Here's how they pray. They just, the, Peter and John had just got in trouble. Told them not to preach anymore in Jesus' name. The whole church gets together. This isn't Peter and John's prayer. This is church together. Lord, hear their threats. Hear their threats. My enemies are speaking. They're squawking. They're pounding at the gates. And give us, your servants, peaceful, calm, casual lives and lots of money and plenty of ease. In Jesus' name. Oh, I might have misread that. Let me try that again. And give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. And listen, that's not the end of the prayer. We like to end it there because we don't know what to do with the rest of it. Verse 30, And stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You ever wonder why they asked for signs and wonders? Because they wanted people to know it was Jesus. They needed people. Signs and wonders are irrefutable that God is there. By the way, let me throw this out for free. Again, adding on to the end of the sermon. Not sorry. Just because God does a sign or wonder through someone does not mean that God is affirming that person. This is all grace, my friends. It's always grace. That's why a lot of times we struggle with these things because we see God use people that we're like that you wouldn't use. But God is more merciful than you. I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but it's true. God's more merciful. He's very, very kind. So anyway, they prayed for power, boldness. They prayed for God to move. They prayed for miracle signs and wonders. And in doing all of that, oh, by the way, verse 31, after this prayer, the meeting place shook. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the Word of God with boldness. Now i got something to say, church. Even if it's your first Sunday and you don't know if you're a believer yet, I want you to know this. That is our heritage. You want to know who the church of Jesus Christ is? That's us. We pray and the ground shakes. We step forward into a world that's broken and hurting and needy and things change. Lives get healed. They get put back together. Souls get restored. Children get their parents back. Wives get their husbands back. This is what the church does. Amen? We got to reclaim that as the body of Christ. We got to stop sitting around going, oh, it's so bad. I just can't even. If the church had its own Facebook page, that's what it would say. I just can't even. <laughs> we need to start asking ourselves why our faith doesn't look like that. You hear me? Everybody in the house, and I know that I know I'm bringing up all kinds of things that cause struggles, but we really need to start asking ourselves why our faith doesn't look like that. Because when we start asking the right question, we are going to find the right answer. We need to stop blaming the lost world for being lost. That was. Uh, I drove from my brother's house in Jackson, Tennessee, to my father's house in South Fulton, Tennessee. I drove back roads because I'm from Tennessee. I like back roads. And uh, I bet I passed 30 churches from my brother's house to my dad's house, maybe more. And it, it kind of broke my heart because they're really they're a bunch of small churches and, and I don't size isn't really an issue for me with church. What is an issue for me with church is 
Are you being like Jesus? Are you reaching out in the world and those kind of things? And just kind of broke my heart that there's that many churches and so few people actually are a part of them. And even fewer are being the church, which is really what it's about. And I guess I, I was I was really challenged with a, with a question at Exponential a few weeks ago, which is a conference that I and the leadership team went to. That and I may have mentioned it a few weeks ago, but I, I just got to I, I can't get it out of my head. That the guy asked, he says, "Do you want a church of a thousand people where a hundred people are involved in ministry, or do you want a church where a hundred people show up on Sunday but a thousand people are involved in ministry?" And I want option B. Is that wrong? Is that crazy? I want, I want you to be the church. I want to be the church. Because I'm here to tell you, I want to see Acts happen again. You know we live in Acts chapter 29, right? Acts 28, that's when Paul's story ended. Acts 29, that's when our story began. Acts is being written as we breathe in this moment. And so my friends, I just, I want that back. And I ask myself, what happened? And I heard uh, Chad Norris say, and it was really clever, he said, Satan realized in the first two centuries that he could not beat the church, so in the third, he joined it. And that is exactly what happened. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good statement. Somehow that Galilean revolution became the ruling rank out of Rome. And that's when we lost our traction. But here's the great thing about being in Rock Springs, Wyoming. We're used to being on the fringes, aren't we? Used to people saying bad things about us, high crime, all those kind of things. And we're like, yeah, keep believing that and stay over there on the east side. <laughs> Leave us alone. <laughs> we, we like it just fine. So I want that power back in our lives. So let's reclaim that heritage. And let's begin right here and, and <clears throat> with this idea of what the Holy Spirit can do in us. I found, I didn't notice it till the last five years, I guess, how little believers actually believe in the Holy Spirit today. Chad, I mean, uh, Francis Chan wrote a book called The Forgotten God, in which he delved into that idea greatly. We've kind of abandoned the idea of the Holy Spirit. And the sad part of that is that when you read the letters of the New Testament, particularly Paul's letters, he is fond of using the Holy Spirit in us as proof for various things. In Galatians, he used the Holy Spirit in us as proof of God's grace. So he's using, so he's assuming that everyone there knows the Holy Spirit so significantly in their life that they can't question it. He does this all throughout his letters. Which to me, I mean, I've walked among all the circles of faith and all the streams of Bible-believing faith. Um, and I meet a lot of Christians who really don't even know if they have the Holy Spirit. They're not sure. And that may be your story. And I, I, want, you to, I want to ask you a question, and I'll help you with this. We can get this resolved right now. We actually can. Have you repented, changed your mind about Jesus Christ, put Him on the throne of your life as Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, to say amen? Amen. amen. Okay. Good deal. He's in charge, right? Do you believe in, Lord Jesus, in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe? Amen. Guess what? Inside of you right now, Holy Spirit of God. Now some of you are like, I know, but I have sought an experience. God does give people some amazing experiences. Sometimes I think our theology robs us of that. I really do. Sometimes I think because we don't expect God to do anything, we don't enjoy the experience of Him doing it. But I'm here to tell you right now, Holy Spirit's in you. 
And he is, he is there filling you. He is in you. He is with you. And sooner or later, you're going to figure out he's on you. Things are going to change for you. What's the Holy Spirit do in us? And so I want to look at this verse, Romans 5, 5. What's the Holy Spirit do? A couple things. Because we have some ideas of the Holy Spirit in our life, and these ideas make us fearful and drive us into fear. But Paul writes in Romans 5, 5, we know how dearly God loves us. We know God. Do you know God loves you? You know, I'm not talking about God loves us all. I ain't talking about that. <laughs> do you know God loves us? He loves you. Okay. So Paul says, because we know this. Here's how we know this. Because He's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. Hey, men, can I, t- I need to talk to men. You need to stop being afraid of the word love in the Bible. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid. I, you can be afraid all you want of Hollywood's version of love. That is some freaky, nasty stuff. Don't mess with that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about real love that Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21 that you would be absolutely overflowing in in your life and you would encounter overwhelming, unknowable, and yet experienceable love of God. So don't, so when the Holy Spirit's in you, it fills your hearts with crazy, awesome love. Everybody say love. Okay, that's not all. He also fills us with deep connection to our Father. Everybody say Father. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. And now we call Him Abba, Father. Everybody say Abba. Abba. Why Abba? First noise a baby makes in the Greek language. Ladies, does it bug you that the first word the baby says is Daddy? Doesn't bug you at all? Amen. Good deal. That woman's free over there. That's right. That was the first word there. Easier to say. Easier to say. Mama's just got that lip thing going on. That's all it is. You let mama leave and watch daddy freak out. It's a whole different deal. So anyway, Abba, Father. Why Abba, Father? Why did Paul say Abba, Father? Do you see where he wanted our relationship to come to? The gentleness of that relationship? The goodness the support, man, it's a great place to start a faith, okay? So this is what Holy Spirit looks like in our life. Now, you're, you're sitting there and you may be going, well, I know it's cool, Holy Spirit's great and all that, but I, you know, I'm not really experiencing a lot of this. Okay, last week, my brother let me borrow his car so I could drive all over Tennessee in it, and it is a Mini Cooper. Anybody familiar with a Mini Cooper? If you're not familiar with a Mini Cooper, are you familiar with a go-kart? <laughs> They're not that much different. Anyway, this is a European car. Uh, I think they're made by BMW, so whatever. So all the buttons are in the wrong place. It's not like a Chevy or a Ford at all. Everything's just in the wrong place. And uh, the steering wheel was on the right side, but they didn't change anything else. They just moved the steering wheel, left everything else the same. So I'm driving, and I go and visit somebody, and I'm there till late at night. I'm at my mother's parents' house. I'm there till after dark, and I get in the car, and I sit down, and I crank it up, and there's no lights on. And I'm like, uh-oh. I should have thought of this in the daylight, but I didn't. And so now, Cade's there with me, and we are scouring the car for the headlight switch. We can't find it anywhere. And this is a car where the window switches are actually on the console, and there's a heater switch that's on the floor for your seat that I did not know about, and I dropped my water bottle on it, and I thought we had driven over hell at one point because it got so hot. I'm like, oh, Lord, the Lord's trying to tell me something. 
I cast a demon out of the seat, but that didn't work. But finally found the button. Everything was all right. So, I mean, I just didn't know this car. Finally, after like a literal five-minute search, which I know it doesn't sound like long, but when you're sitting there in the dark and you just want to go to bed and you can't find the light switch, it seems like forever. And look, I just did not know this car, but we found it, got on the road, got to where we needed to go. You've lived your whole life in this body of clay, this house of flesh. You know how to be connected to the world through your sight, your ears, your senses, all those things. You know how to be connected to that. But the second you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God made alive in you, made you a new creation, made alive in you your spirit. And now the same way that your earthly body connects with the earthly world, your spiritual body connects with heaven and the heavenly realm. Okay? So you got this going on. But here's the thing. We don't know where the light switch is. We don't know how to move the seat around. We don't know how this thing works. And what we end up doing, and this is what's sad, is we end up just driving, staggering through life with no lights on, just trying to get where we can go, wondering why it's so hard to follow Jesus. And we just aren't taking the time to learn the new life. Does that make sense? Does that help? All right. Good. I do hope that was helpful. So let's jump into how we can transition this, and we'll start with where we are. And uh, I either got to go faster or we're going to be here for a while. We'll try each. We'll see what happens. So let's talk a little bit about a life in the day of an orphan, okay? So I want to look at three things that the disciples went through that we can learn from that will help us, set us free from this fear of, of the Holy Spirit, of spiritual things, uh, living our lives like Jesus is an accessory rather than living in His power. I want to look at the disciples, three quick stories. I want to start with Thomas first. Because there was a time that the mindset of the disciples was what I call the orphan mindset. They, they did not feel like God was their father. They were trying to get God's approval. And this created some weird behaviors in their life. So Thomas is the first I'll look at. In John chapter 20, some selected verses, Thomas says, I will not believe it, which is that Jesus is alive, Unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Later, verse 27, Jesus shows up suddenly again. And he says, Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Your hand in the wound in my side. By the way, I just want to throw that out there for free. This wasn't a little poke that Jesus got, but that was last Sunday's message. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Thomas cries, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaims, okay? What I want you to see here is a, a pattern in orphans. And it's this, orphans struggle with doubt or with their faith. Orphans struggle with their faith. Thomas struggled. Now, before you get too hard on Thomas, I want to remind you that when it came to Lazarus' resurrection, which was a, an amazing story in itself, that Thomas was the brave one. And in fact, I'll give you the scripture. It's in Luke, John 11, 16. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. He understood the risk of going back to Judea with Jesus, and he was willing to do it because he loved Jesus that much. So I don't want you to think Thomas was a coward. It's just that he struggled with Jesus' resurrection. He struggled with doubt. He struggled with his faith. And many of you are there, and it's okay right now. It's okay. You're going to have faith struggles. You hear me? You're going to have them. The issue isn't that you have them. It's that we get through them. 
Because when you have a struggle with doubt, it's because God is bringing you to a place where He can pull that doubt out of your life. He's bleeding off the unbelief so He can replace it with belief. Okay? So when you struggle with doubts, that is part of the growth process. Just part of it. And so it's normal for us to have those doubts. Why do we doubt? We doubt for a lot of reasons. One, I'll just, four. Four quick reasons. One, we cannot see God at work in our circumstances right now. That's the number one reason most people struggle with God caring about them or loving them or with the power of Christianity or with anything that they need from God in their life. The number one reason is we look at our circumstances in this singular moment and we can't see God at work and so we begin to doubt God. So let me, let me teach you something right now. In fact, you re- remember this. If you don't remember anything else I say today, remember this. Circumstances lie. Circumstances are not true. They're not truth. They're not truth. They may be factual. Circumstances may be factual. You may have lost your job. You may have been diagnosed with a disease. That may be a fact. But the conclusions you draw because of that fact, that's where you're either walking in faith or fear. I have been diagnosed with a disease. I am now going to suffer the rest of my life. Now you have faith in fear at that moment. You placed your faith in fearing the worst rather than placing your hope in what God can do. Maybe you're, maybe that's who you are. In fact, I think that someone might be there right now. You may have got a diagnosis you don't like. And here's, here's what's, think a minute about what's possible. What if God wants to bring you through this that He did not cause, by the way? God is not sick. He can, He doesn't give sickness. There's an enemy that makes people sick. He uses the enemy's attack. But he does not do things that are wrong and evil to people. So, Father, allow this into your life because maybe he wanted to take you through a healing process that would restore your faith and bring you to a better place. You don't raise your hands. Yeah, you can go ahead. Amen. God's good, okay? You don't have to go through, you don't have to raise your hands. But let me ask you a question. If you're sitting there right now, don't don't signify anything, but you're going through something that is bigger than you can handle at the moment. Just sit, just think that through. That's you. It's bigger than you can handle. What's going on, God? That's the question we ask, right? I've got this ugly circumstance. What's going on, God? So here's what's going on. God's about to make you bigger. You understand? Yeah, the enemy meant it for evil, but God can win with any hand. He can win with any hand. It doesn't matter. And so the enemy's going to be out there dealing these horrible things and God is going to take them and turn into a winning situation. We doubt because of our circumstances. We also doubt because... Um, there, there's a really good point I was about to make there and I totally lost it. Anyway, we also doubt because we do not read the Word or understand God's ways. One of the things that really tests my patience, I really try and be a very loving, patient person and I... I haven't yelled nearly as much in the last five years as I did in the previous 45. One of the things that really tests my patience is when I talk to people about things of God and I find out that they've been a Christian for a long time and they do not read the Word, the Bible. I'm not saying that to make you feel more guilt, okay? I'm just saying, hey, it's all there in print, dude. It's all there for you. Instruction manual for life. It's there, okay? 
And I know, I know what it's like to read it and not know what it means. There are several texts in the Bible that I read. I'm like, God, I know one day you're going to reveal this to me, but right now I don't, I'm either not ready to receive it. I don't want to believe it. Whatever it is, uh, I've got that. But just because you struggle with the Bible does not mean you should put her down and let her collect us. Okay. It's going to be hard for you to know how God thinks or how God works and to see that in life if you don't ever read God's word and think about it. Amen. And the other reason is, is we doubt because we're afraid. We're just afraid God's going to let us down. He's going to abandon us. He's not going to come through. The main thing we fear is a fear we bring on ourselves. We fear God won't do it the way we want God to do it. You know what I'm saying? That's usually, that's usually where God lets us down because He never does it my way. Never does it my way. He always does it better. He always exceeds my expectations. Because my father can take me through stuff that absolutely ripped me apart and then put me together on the other side and include a whole pack of friends, a whole pack of biblical truth, a whole pack of relationships and hope and influence that I could never have hoped for my way. My, my papa knows what he's doing. Amen? Yours does too. So, God's bigger than all that stuff. So life over them, they, they struggle with doubt. i got to move on uh, really, really fast. Luke 9, 54. They also struggle with anger. And I, I really need to get through this. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, <laughs> Jesus had just been rejected by a, vill- a Samaritan village. When John and James saw this, James and John, Lord, you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn them up? <laughs> how many were like Tammy? Yes, that's how it should be. Yes. There's some people that be scorched off the face of the earth today. Verse 55, but Jesus turned and rebuked them. Now, let me tell you what's going on with James and John. They're following Jesus. They're disciples, man. And they believe, but they're orphans still. What does that mean? They still are trying to get Jesus' acceptance. They do not yet know that Jesus accepts them. Do you understand? All the disciples have this problem. They're trying to get Jesus' approval and never know that they already have Jesus' approval, even though he keeps telling them. You're my friends. I will lay down my life for my friends. You're my friends. They have his acceptance and approval. And so they're trying to get it, James and John. When you are in that orphan heart and you're trying to get God's approval, which is most of us, okay? We just got to be honest. Very few of us have made it into the land of sonship, but we're going to get there. Amen? We're going to get there, okay? We're going to start believing the truth and rejecting the lies. And so they, they are in this point, that orphan spirit. Now all of a sudden, because of their heart being uh, in a place of needing approval, they're like, hey, uh, everybody who rejects you, we just called on fire and end them. That's over. Wrath. Because lost people have no business being lost, I guess. I, I don't know. It's weird. But it's, very, it's what we do. Get angry. But you know what happened after these guys were filled with, accompanied by, and overcome by the Holy Spirit? They actually laid down their lives for people like this. They were killed by the Christ rejectors. James was killed by them. John certainly suffered. He should have died, but God wouldn't let him because he still had a book of Revelation to write. But that's another story. What happens? What turned the, well, you just want us to call down fire from heaven, have barbecue? To, Father, we'll lay down our lives for these people. What changed? Holy Spirit. Now they know. Now James and John know. They're accepted. They don't need to look down on anybody. 
The reason we struggle with judgment in our life is because of this. We judge people because we're trying to put them down so we will feel more worthy and more acceptable before God. And so here's the good news. You're accepted. It's all grace. You're just accepted today. Sit in church, listen to a long sermon as you are tomorrow being angry at your desk at work. Just as accepted at every moment. In fact, if you start believing that, you'll probably be less angry at the desk tomorrow. Amen? All right. Okay, so they struggle with anger. And the last thing I'll throw out here is that they also struggle with insecurity. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. Each of you. But I have pleaded in in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. Remember that story? Obviously, Peter was not willing to do those things. But he said he was. He wanted to believe that that was true of him. Have you ever been, have you ever been there in your life? I mean, maybe some of you. The idea of martyrdom used to really terrify me. And I used to pray things like, because I read Fox's Book of Martyrs when I was very young, and some of those stories. And I used to pray things like, Father, just help me be able to stand firm when that comes. I think this is the heart of Peter right here. He's just like, he, wa- he wanted to be. He so wanted to be worthy of the leadership role Jesus had cast him in. He so wanted to be worthy to just stand there and suffer with Christ. He wanted to see. But he did not have the power yet. He did not believe yet. He did not believe yet. And so he struggled with, I, I think that's that insecurity. Back to that approval and accepted issue in his life. I want to ask you a question before I move on out of this orphan thing. What do you want people to think about you? What do you want people to think about you and why? Do you want to think, I want them to think I'm a good parent. I want them to think I'm good at my job. I want them to think I'm confident. I want them to think I'm attractive. I'm smart. What is it you want people to think and why do you want them to think that? Where did that even come from? Because a lot of the things we want people to think about us did not come from God. They did not come from the Holy Spirit. They did not come from His Word. They came from our culture. I want to challenge you to find out what God thinks about you. I'm serious. What does God think about you? First of all, it's way better than you think about yourself. It really is. And then begin moving into that. I'm praying that some of you will get free today from that people-pleasing spirit, from that need of approval from everyone else, and believe that you are accepted by God. So that's the day in the life of the orphan. The day that's a day in the life of an orphan. It's filled with doubt. It's filled with fear. It's filled with anger. It's filled with insecurity. And that's the life we live a lot, right? If we were honest, that's our life. How do we get out of it? Aha. Finally, we turned the corner, all right? Day in the life of the sun. Let's talk about that for a second. So, one of my favorite things in the world is to have breakfast with my dad for two reasons. One, he pays. <laughs> two, I just love talking to my dad. I love to hear his voice. I love to hear what he thinks about. I love to hear his story. My father's a Vietnam veteran. He said some amazing experiences in his life. He is a farm boy from Hickman, Kentucky. Grew up a sharecropper. Grew up as poor, so poor. I can't. Even, you don't even know poor. You just don't even know. Grew up that poor, and uh, and and came out of that and has put together a life and a family. My dad is is a hero to me, obviously, 
And so I, I want to begin with this idea, how do you live like a son? Because the Bible says in John 1.12, all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become the children of God or the sons of God. He gave the right. We need to get back into John 1.12 and remember that. God saved us to be sons. God saved us to be sons. Sons. Say sons. Okay. Now I know some of you ladies are sitting there going, well, what if I'm a daughter? This is gender neutral, guys. I mean, this is not about the gender, okay? This is just, this is about being a child. Romans 8.14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Moving in the Spirit. So forth. This is what God wants for us. So let's start the day with Dad. Here's what I challenge you to do. I love breakfast with my dad. I want to encourage you to have breakfast with yours. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 5, verse 3, listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I'll bring my request to you and wait expectantly. God wants a relationship with you. I know we say it all the time. It's the, it's, the, it's the buzzword in Christianity. God wants a relationship. But here, let me add a phrase to it that might help you understand it even better. God wants a relationship with you just like the relationship He has with His Son, Jesus Christ. He wants the same kind of relationship with you that He had with Jesus. Don't let that intimidate you. Let that call you up. Let that call you into a larger faith and something that it can be believed and entered into. So, I wonder what Father and Son talked about. I wonder what kind of things they discussed. And I think it was everything. I think they just talked about everything. My dad and I, we talk about everything. And so if you want to learn how to be a son to God, to father, God is your father, then I recommend you follow their example. Everything God the Father said to the Son, He says to you. You understand this, right? Because Jesus is in you. So whatever God does for the Son, He does for you. You are in the Son. The Father's with you. Together. So when God says to the Son at the day of His baptism, this is my beloved, adored, cherished, most precious Son in whom I am extremely well pleased. He says that to you. God's like looking at you through Jesus Christ saying, I like you, I love you, I want more of you. Didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it happened, you know. That's probably a song stuck back in the, the deck there somewhere. So when he says that you're my beloved son, he's saying that to you. I want to challenge you as a believer to adopt that into your worship time. Seriously, get it. That's John chapter Mark 111. Seriously, sit back in your next worship time or stand up or lay down or what, however you worship. I, I, that is no concern to me. My concern is this. Let Father love you. Acknowledge the fact that he loves you. Read that text aloud to yourself. It will tick the devil off. It will. That's why Satan hates you because Papa loves you. Okay? Father God loves you like crazy. This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. John 12, 25, God says to the son, audible voice sounded like thunder to some. God says, I will glorify my name and I'm going to condense like three verses into one line. I'll glorify my name through your surrender. God's going to glorify his name through you, especially as you surrender to him. Okay? So that's how, that's the kind of stuff the father says to the son, but we should also consider the kind of stuff the son says to the father, shouldn't we? I mean, how does the father, how does the son talk to the father? Well, he says things like, not my will, but yours be done, father. Not what I want, but what you want. He says, wherever I see the father working, that's where I go to work. That's how the son sees it. He says, I lay down my life for the work of the father, for you. So if you want to improve your relationship with God, begin thinking about what does God the father say to God the son 
And that is how my relationship should grow in that. Now, as you're doing that, let me challenge you to do something very hard. Make a note. I'm serious. Think about what God's saying to you. Write it down somewhere. Type it into your phone. Make a note and take a step. Make a note and take a step. God's going to tell you something. Anytime you'll give Him your attention, He'll speak. You may not know His voice yet. I promise you He's speaking. promise you He's always speaking. The issue is not, Father, being silent in your life. The issue is that we cannot focus. Can't concentrate. And so... So if you want to be a son, you want to move into son, I want to challenge you, simply start the day with God. Learn how to be a son from God. Second thing I challenge you to do, live from headquarters. Live from headquarters. The Bible says in Colossians 3.1, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. When Paul talked about praying without ceasing, he was not talking about asking God for new stuff constantly. Okay? He was talking about living in connection with um, mission control, the throne room of heaven. And noticing, remember I said earlier that God awakened a spirit in you and that spirit is connected to and can sense in similar ways that your earthly senses can what's going on in spiritual realms. It's there. It's part of you. It's why you're this new creature. Why you're weird. It's why sometimes, I know you didn't know you are weird. You know it now. That's why sometimes you feel conflict within you. The flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Colossians chapter 5 tells us about. Because now you sense a new domain coming up in your life. So Paul tells us to live from that place. He talks about this whole unseen realm. If you don't, more than half of your life will be in ignorance. Do you understand that? More than half of your life. If half of you, and it can't be half, these ratios cannot be correct, but if only half of you is connected to what's happened in the world and you're ignoring the half that's connected to the throne room, you're, you're going to set yourself up for some failure, make some mistakes, right? So we've got to live from the throne room. Paul taught us to do that, to start every day from the throne room, learn to live from the invisible. I call it, and I, it's not original, I think I got it from Randy Clark or somebody else, I call it the naturally supernatural life. I love life in the Holy Spirit. Okay, I love walking with the Spirit. Weird people, they'll freak me out too. You know what I'm saying? I like to pray for people. I was in uh, Tennessee last week. <clears throat> I should be done by three, no problem, no problem. I was in Tennessee last week. I was pulling out of a Walmart. I went to get a part for something my dad was working on. And there's this guy uh has a sign, disabled. Oh, man, I love people like that. I love people that have needs. I've been people have needs. I've never had the courage to stand at Walmart, but I might one day. You never know. And so uh, he was there, had a sign said, disabled, older gentleman, about my dad's age. I parked the car out of the way so I'd have plenty of time. I had some money in my pocket. I walked over to him and I gave him the money. I said, I want to give this to you first because I don't want you to feel like you owe me anything right now. You give this to you first. And here, I just want to pray. Can I pray? He's like, yeah. So we did right there, prayed. Now, let me tell you how I pray for uh, for people out in public. Can I pray for you right quick, Leonard? Good. Lord, I just ask you, bless Leonard, heal his body. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I've seen people, oh, Lord, I'm so glad. Don't make it weird. You get me? You follow me? It's weird enough. Because when I do this right here, Leonard and I are entered into a holy place. Whether he knows it or not, it doesn't matter. I know it. And when we enter a holy place, 
God can do stuff. God's going to do stuff. He does, he does stuff. God blows my mind, you guys. I just never know what He's going to do. Um, and, and He's so fun. He's just kind. And ah, Anyway, I, I don't have time to rant on about how cool God is, but I will uh, a little bit more. Anyway, <laughs> Being a Christian who walks in the Holy Spirit is really just being a believer who pays attention. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. Like, if you're in a situation, like you're in that Walmart line, the one everyone loves to be in, and you know the spirit of that line, right? It is a blessed place to be. You're, ask yourself, what's wrong here? What's wrong here? Does God want me to do something about what's wrong here? Uh, flying back, I got there's always stories of God, and I got a bunch of new ones just because I took a trip, you know. And so I'm flying back, Tennessee. Boy, my arms are tired. Ha ha ha. And so I'm flying back from Tennessee. There's a crying baby across the aisle from me. Yes. So excited. Yes. That baby took off and the air pressure changed. I know his ears were hurting. And, the, and we went from wah, wah to ah! Hallelujah. Great time. The tension on the plane just ratcheting up. You can feel it. Everybody around me. Shut up the baby. But no one will say it because that's awful to say. You know, no one walks up and says, you need to shut up your baby, ma'am. No one, no one says it out loud, but they're thinking it up here. You know it's true. I know it's true, okay? So I just, you know what I, I did? Uh, I did two things. The first is funny and the second is not. The two things, I always carry earplugs with me when I fly. <laughs> there you go. Yay! Neener, neener, neener. And... Uh, so I put in earplugs and I started praying. Just praying for her. I didn't know her. I, I, I didn't feel like God was saying, hey, you just need to tell her you're praying for her. I just started praying. Funny thing is, about an hour into that flight, the Lord opened the door and we got to talk for a few minutes. And I got to encourage her as a mom and tell her. Of course, obviously, when I tell someone how many sons I have, and she has two sons, when I tell her how many sons I have, it opens an amazing door. I get all kind of, how did you do it? I say, well, my wife is Wonder Woman. She just doesn't wear the costume. That's how I do it. So um, my point is, what's wrong? Maybe you can fix it. What's bugging you? Maybe you can change it. Remember, the spirit of a room is not always you. You may walk into a room and have uh, thoughts of lust. Being tempted is not the sin, guys. It's falling into the sin. Okay, you got to remember that. And so begin to change it in your room. And I wish I had time to go into that, but I'm not. And just ask yourself what's happening around you. Be in the moments with Jesus and see, is there a place that you need to do something? That you can do something? If so, do it. I mean, love somebody. Be kind. Let them know God loves them. Um, anyways, that makes sense? You with me? That, that's that. Walking in the Spirit, it's not complicated. It's really not. Okay? It's just kind of following Jesus around, having some fun with Him. The last thing I'll say is this. Expect every day to rock. Every morning, Jesus Christ went to prayer with the Father. How do you think He started His day? Do you think He walked out of the, maybe He's in the Garden of Olives or whatever, think He walked out like Eeyore? Oh, well, I guess we should go tell the Gospel. Or, or like Pignant, oh man, I sure hope the Sadducees don't get us today. Oh my goodness. Ah. Or do you think maybe He walked out of prayer time with Papa and said, today's going to be awesome. Today's going to be exciting. 
I don't know what Father's going to do exactly today, but I know it's going to be good. Now, I know this is not just positive gumbo. Let's start together. This is just expectation of Father to do something. So let me correct the first thought you have on your mind. But what if something bad happens? It will. There you go. No problem. God's Son. God's Son suffers, condemned, dies on the cross. What does God do with it? Amazing. Saves the world. All right? You see? So yeah, maybe you go into work and get the worst news ever. Lose your job. Get the diagnosis you don't want. Have a fight with your spouse. Argue with your kids. What? Maybe God is setting you up, though, for an amazing day. Maybe He's setting you up for awesome. In fact, what if we just assume that? What if we, instead of like, well, here we go. You just Lord, don't give me a flat on the way to work. I couldn't handle the day if I had a flat. You got an excuse to be late if you got a flat, man. Sorry, I had a flat. Stand there next to the tower. Wait for whoever's coming to help you out and just praise the Lord. Hallelujah, start the day of the flat, man. Woo, it's going to be good from here. You say, man, that guy's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I, yes, I am. You know why? Because the world I'm from works the opposite of the world I'm in. You understand that? The world I'm from works opposite of the world I'm in. So we should expect the day to absolutely rock. God can do some things. What do I want you to do with this message? Okay, I just want you to live like sons and daughters of your father. That's all I really want you to do, man. Because I believe that God is raising us up in this community and other people in other churches in this community to change it for good, to make a difference. I believe that in 10 years, we're going to look back on this time in our church's history and we're going to realize that there are fewer people addicted in the future than there are now. That marriages are more stable in the future than they are now. That children have a better grasp on what is actually true than they do now. I believe we can change all this. I know we can. I know I can't. You hear me? I know I can't. I'm just a Bible teaching dude. Make lots of mistakes. In fact, if you ever need an example of what not to do, I can help you. I told you I was going to be twangy today. But I know that inside of me lives Jesus Christ. Jesus. What would Jesus do? That's Remember that question? Let's bring it home. There's that homeless guy on the street. What would Jesus do? Oh, he might give him a little money. I doubt it because he never carried any. But I know he would interrupt that guy's life with God's love. You see? And I am looking at some world interrupters in the house. If you knew how scared the enemy was of you, you would walk out of here and kick him in the teeth. It's true. When the church starts living the salvation she already has, they'll have to shut down hell and all its subsidiaries. As you, my friends, are the power of God walking on this earth. Let's pray. Father, uh, I've had a blast today. I ain't going to lie. That was fun. I love telling how awesome you are. I love reveling in your love. Just love it. I love reveling in what's possible and what you can do. I love remembering what you've already done. Lord, and I know that what you're doing in us right now is is an awakening. And I'm excited about that. I realize I probably uh, created a lot of uh, work for myself in the next few months today. 
as you begin to lay on hearts ministries and outreaches and hope 